0: Humbling opportunity it is for us to be able to gather to celebrate the cross of Jesus. You know, Pastor Brian mentioned how long Westridge has been gathering doing this 17 years. But here's the reality people like you and me have been gathering thousands of years celebrating this day. Billions. Billions of people throughout history have gathered to celebrate the cross of Jesus. And even millions across the world today are doing it at some point today, maybe even right now with us. Because to so many of us watching online or in the room, when we think about the cross of Jesus, it represents to us, it is this symbol of hope, of forgiveness, of salvation. That's what it means to us. This is why we sing about it and rejoice in it. But you know, it's not always been that way. Matter of fact, the cross did not become a symbol of Christianity, of hope and salvation until in the fourth century. It was about 300 years after Jesus died on one until the cross actually became this symbol that gives hope to so many people. It's just not always been that way, or viewed that way. Matter of fact, the early church leaders and church fathers, when they looked at the cross, they saw something very different than many of us see. We see crosses everywhere now. I mean, you walk out into our building where the waterfall is out in the atrium and there's a big cross right in the middle of the stone. You drive around this side of the building behind me and there's actually a cross designed right there into the wall. We wear it as jewelry, we put it in art, we write and sing songs about it, we put it on bumper stickers on our car, but it's not always been this way or viewed this way. The early church fathers actually wouldn't even allow someone to draw one or to portray one in art. Do you know why? Because they had actually seen Jesus die on one. And to many of those who lived in the first century, when Jesus died, when they looked at the cross, what it meant and represented to so many of them, was the evil oppression of Rome, the Roman Empire. You see, the Roman Empire used the cross, used crucifixion as a form of punishment and to execute its slaves, our enemies, our prisoners. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion. The Persians invented it sometime around 300, 400 B.C. But by the time the Roman Empire came around, they were experts in it. They had become professionals in crucifying people. And throughout history in the Rome Empire, they crucified tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of people to put on display of what happens when you rebel against Rome. And so to so many, when they saw the cross, it represented death and punishment in Rome. They were so good at it. Matter of fact, when finally the Jewish-Rome war took place, which came to an end in, in, in AD 70 when they burned Jerusalem to the ground. Rome invades Jerusalem but throughout that time in that war that lasted over years. It even tells us that one day as Rome was in the city, they literally crucified over 500 people in one day. They literally built scaffolding and just nailed people to it and crucified them. Historians tell us the only reason they stopped It's because they ran out of wood. But here we are today, and we're singing songs that people have written about celebrating the cross. And if we just step back and just look at this honest, real perspective, just for a second, we're celebrating a form of execution and punishment I mean, nobody, just in perspective, nobody is writing or singing songs about the electric chair, our lethal injection, or the gas chamber. But yet here we are, all of us in the room, watching online, all around the world today, celebrating the cross, to which so many of us, it represents hope and salvation. C.S. Lewis actually said this He said that crucifixion did not become common in art until all who had seen a real one died off. Crucifixion did not become common in art until all who had seen a real one had died off. And as a church, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark now Mark's gospel takes a slightly different approach than some of the other gospels like Matthew or John. He is very detailed in his writing. He almost takes the approach of what we might consider like a, a first-hand reporter and eyewitness accounts, and so he includes so many minor details throughout the story as he tells about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But when you come to like the climactic part of the story, Mark takes an interesting approach to the crucifixion of Jesus. Like when he gets arrested, the garden, the betrayal, so many details. He lays it all out. When Jesus gets arrested and he stands before the religious leaders and eventually even Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome, so many details. He records the conversations he records what was happening. But when you come to the actual moment of Jesus being crucified, all of these details, but when you come to this climactic moment, here's all that Mark writes and all that he says. Mark 15, verse 24. This is all he says at the end of verse 24. And they crucified him. That's it. That's all he says. That's all he writes. That's all he records. And they crucified him. No details, no explanation. Do you know why? Do you know why the details stop in that moment in the story? Because Mark was writing to first century believers And the first century believer didn't need the details. Do you know why they didn't need the details? Because they had actually seen someone crucified. They'd seen it with their own eyes. And to them, it was not something to celebrate or to rejoice in, there was nothing romantic are glamorous, are wonderful about it. You would literally hide your children's eyes from it. You yourself would turn away because of what it represented. And they'd seen it. They had actually seen someone die on one. They had actually heard the cries of people dying from it. They had actually heard the sound of nails being driven through flesh and bone into wood. They had heard that sound. They had heard the sound of a person grasping for breath and air. You see, the way crucifixion worked was it wasn't through the nails or the pain, People literally died because of suffocation. The way that they would hang on the cross, all their weight would compress on their lungs, making it very hard to breathe. And the only way they could take a breath in and out was to literally push up on their feet, on the nails, to raise themselves up so that they could take a breath. But with the pain and in the weakened state, they would drop back down. So they had heard the gasping for air. So when they looked at the cross, it represented something so different to them than it does to so many of us. And so it was on this day, 2,000 years ago, that they nailed Jesus to a cross at 9 a.m. And they crucified him. And at 3 p.m., he took his last breath, and he died. But out of all of the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of crucifixion, it was that one crucifixion, that one cross that changed everything. Everything That one day, that one cross that Jesus was nailed to changed the way we even look at the cross. One of the most profound moments in the Gospels as it begins to unfold and share the story of Jesus being arrested, his time in the garden, the Lord's Supper, all of that, the betrayal, the mock trial. Eventually, at some point, Jesus finds himself standing before the governor that Rome had put in place by the name of Pontius Pilate. See, the Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus dead, they couldn't kill him themselves because they were under the rule of Rome. So they had to get Rome to do it for them. And so at this point in the story before Jesus crucified, he's standing before Rome. He's standing before Pontius Pilate. And it's such a profound and powerful moment throughout the story that's easy just to miss as a minor note, but it literally is everything about the story. It tells us everything we need to know about the crucifixion of Jesus. John's Gospel, chapter 19 he records this moment between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate is speaking, he's interviewing, he's questioning Jesus, and he says this, so Pilate said to him, said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? You won't answer me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus When you look at the different accounts, Jesus said very little through the entire process. His words were very few. This is why the scripture in Isaiah talks about he was like a lamb led to the slaughter, silent in its shears. But in this one moment, Jesus decides to speak up. He decides this is a moment to to speak And to declare and to remind all of the world, even Rome, what is actually happening here. So Jesus responds to him. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. And so in this one moment, with all that's happening, the arrest, the trial, all that looms ahead... Jesus stops in this one moment, and he makes one thing very clear. To Pontius Pilate, to the most powerful empire on the planet at that time, he makes one thing very clear. You could do none of this to me. None of this would be happening unless unless my Father in heaven had allowed it. He makes one thing clear. You think you're the one in charge here. You think you're the one with authority. You think you're the one with the power. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I want to be very clear on something. I have all the authority. I have all the power. I am in complete control. And the only reason you can crucify me is because I'm going to let you crucify me. And he makes sure there's no mistake or confusion about it. And here's what has ripped my heart out a complete humility before Christ. This reminder crucifixion was forced, forced upon thousands of men, but it was only ever chosen by one. Forced. Upon thousands of men, but only ever chosen by one person Jesus. He chose the cross. There was some debate, even a book years ago, of of who murdered Jesus, the Jews, the Romans. And Jesus says, No one takes my life, I lay it down. I choose the cross. I choose to die. Forced upon thousands, upon thousands, upon thousands, but only ever chosen by one. As I shared and said earlier, crucifixion, Was a form of punishment to slaves and prisoners and enemies of Rome, a form of execution. And these people were crucified for their rebellion, or at least what was viewed as their rebellion against Rome. But Jesus was crucified for my rebellion, for your rebellion against God for our sin the cross was punishment for our for my sin the apostle Paul who wrote much about the life and death and resurrection of Christ wrote the majority of the New Testament he reminds us of this In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, says that Christ Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Then he goes on to remind us that Jesus chose this, that he humbled himself to die for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Jesus being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And God did on that awful day, 2,000 years ago, what only God could do. God took something bad and he made it good. He took something horrible and from it gave us hope. He took death and from it brought life. Something that was a punishment of our sin and from it brought salvation for our sins and only God can do that. You think that your life is broken, you think your life is a mess, you think your life is beyond repair, our salvation today reminds us this is what God does. He takes the most broken, horrible, messed up things and he makes them good and he saves them and he brings them back to life. This is what he does through the cross of Jesus. And so today, 2,000 years later, the reason that when we look at the cross, that it speaks hope and salvation to us, why is it a symbol of Christianity? is because of that one day and that one crucifixion and that one cross that changed everything for us. But the thing that's been heavy on me today with you, my prayer has been for you, the person sitting here in this room, watching online, then maybe your life is a mess and it's broken and you feel so far gone or you've never saw your need or never put your trust in Jesus. My heavy, my heart is heavy for you. And today my prayer, my heart was, God, please just let us see the cross of Jesus and what you've done for us. So my prayer for you is that you would see Jesus, that you would see what he's done for you, that he took your sins, your punishment and exchange offers you hope and forgiveness and salvation. So maybe today, maybe you are here right now and you've never put your trust in Christ. But maybe today, maybe right here, right now, could be that moment for you. That maybe today you've seen Jesus in the cross and what he did for you for the first time. And so maybe you could say a prayer or respond to God simply like this. God, I know. I know and I confess that I'm a sinner. I know and I confess my need for a savior. And today, God, trust and belief I put my trust and belief in Jesus who died on that cross to forgive me and to save me and maybe you say something like this God I don't understand everything but Jesus I believe you died on the cross for me and as we'll celebrate in the next couple of days that you rose again from the grave so help me Help me to live for you and to follow you the best way I know how and the best way I can. You say that prayer today, you respond to God in that way today. His promise to you is that he'll save you and change you. But my other burden in my prayer today was for so many of us in the room or watching online who's a lot like me. That the cross to you is hope and salvation. That at some point in your life, you have put your trust in Christ. But here's the reality. Here's the hard truth. Here's the convicting moment for me. You see, Jesus chose the cross. But the real question is, is will me and you choose him? To love him. To live for him to follow him. His words, not mine, Jesus' words. If anyone desires to come after me, then let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What many of us need to do in the room today in our lives is to be so grateful for what Jesus has done on the cross for us is that we in return would choose the cross as well that we would lay down our own lives for him, that we would choose him over anything and everything else, that we would die to ourselves, that Christ might live through us. That's the choice before us today. The only question is, is will we make it? Will we cling to the cross and somehow, some way through death, find life? I'm gonna encourage you to stand to your feet and I just wanna simply pray over you And then we're going to get to do something once again today because of Jesus. We're going to get to celebrate and lift up the cross of Jesus. Father, we stand in this moment humbled, grateful. Thank you for dying for me, for dying for us. Thank you for choosing the cross. Thank you for taking the penalty of my sin, of our sin, upon yourself for humbling yourself. And in that today, God, help us to place our trust in you. And as we do that, we will find hope, forgiveness, and salvation. And for many of us in the room today, God, help us to choose the cross that we may deny ourselves, die to ourselves, that you may live through us. But today we get to celebrate the cross. Because on that day 2,000 years ago, you chose it and it changed everything. And for that, we cannot thank you enough. But because of that, we believe, we pray, we thank you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to dig deeper into any message here at Westridge, consider checking out our after-message edition of the Westridge podcast. We'll have a practical conversation around Sunday's message and discuss how we can apply it to our daily lives. Along the way, we're going to tackle other tough questions and topics that will help strengthen your walk with God. Whether you're new to the faith or a longtime follower of Christ, our hope is that these conversations will be an encouragement to you. Just search Westridge Church wherever you listen to your podcasts.